Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to episode 347 here on the Motorcycle Men Podcast. Joining me today here in the V-Twin Cafe is author Rick Antonson. Now, Rick has been on the show before with his book, Route 66 Still Kicks, and he also played Jeopardy with us not long ago. But today, Rick is here to tell us all about his new book, Train Beyond the Mountains, Journeys on the Rocky Mountaineer. But first, before we get into that, the Motorcycle Men Podcast is brought to you by Scorpion Helmets. Now, they're offering high-quality, innovative motorcycle helmets and technical apparel at an incredible value. So to learn more, get on over to scorpionusa.com. And Wild Ass Seats. Now, you can improve your comfort and ability to stay in the saddle longer with a cushion from Wild Ass Seats. So if you're tired of those painful pressure points and fatigue, go to wild-ass.com. And tell the real Craig Johnson over there that you want a cushion. And get that cushion today. And don't forget to tell them that the Motorcycle Men Podcast sent you. And, of course, as always, Tobacco Motorwear. Now, for the best in casual riding gear for men and women, there's only one place you should be going, and that is Tobacco Motorwear. Visit them at TobaccoMotorwear.com, and our listeners will get 10% off your order when you use the code MOTOMEN. Everyone here at the podcast is wearing tobacco riding jeans and the California riding shirt, and I can't tell you how wonderful these products are. I wear them for every ride, and I won't ride without them. Your safety is worth it, so get on over to Tobacco Motorwear and get in Dave's pants. Time now for that interview with Rick. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Motorcycle Men Podcast. This is Ted, your host, here in the V-Twin Cafe, and joining me today, all the way from British Columbia, he's been on the show before, he's got a couple books out, uh, Quite a few books out, actually. Uh, he did the uh, Route 66 Still Kicks book. And he was also on the show a few weeks ago doing our Jeopardy game, if you recall. Mr. Rick Antonson. Rick, so happy you could be on the show again. Thanks. Please, if you would, please tell everyone who you are and what you do. The world of destination marketing, responsible for, for uh, tourism in Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, and worked a lot with um, American counterparts and the Destination International Organization based in Washington, D.C., which I had the opportunity to chair. And I left that about eight, nine years ago with the specific intent of becoming a full-time book author. And so I've, I've, I've done that. And Training Beyond the Mountains is just out. The subtitle is Journeys on the Rocky Mountaineer. And it's my fifth travel memoir, travel book, and my eighth book overall. So I'm kind of hitting my stride as a full-time author, though I would say it's a, it's a tough way to make a living nowadays. <laughs> you think so? Yeah, I think if you're if you're listening for the cash register ring, it's it's got its challenges, and and yeah. that's you know shared by many other creative undertakings. I also do uh, presentations at conferences on something called cathedral thinking, which is a philosophy about the long term and the building of a cathedral which takes multi-generations sure. so I, I enjoy that and i patched together a, a living doing that and it's fascinating and super enjoyable and i played baseball this morning so it's a good time of year <laughs> the weather's good enough for you to play baseball up there in, in, in uh 
where you are? It's great. It's oh, great. Good. In the Okanagan okay. and British Columbia, I play baseball twice a week. And it's, uh, it's a really good league. It's a oh, lot wow, of that's, fun. That's great. Sometimes we win, sometimes we lose, but we always have good ball games. Well, the thing thing about uh, being an author and writing a book is that there's a tremendous amount of work up front. And then there is the promotion that you have to do afterwards. And but during that whole writing time, there, there's no income. There's that. no and, and, and one cocoons by nature. You know, when people would say, how did you do during COVID? I would say I'm an author. So authors are solitude. Yeah. And by nature, we're used to to kind of shying away and, and working. But a, a book like like Train Me on the Mountains or my book, Route 66 Still Kicks, that we've talked about before, or Walking with Ghosts in Papua New Guinea, those books each have probably a year and a half out of my life, maybe spread over three or four years sure. travel, writing time, research. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of you that goes into the writing of a book, and much of it is solitude. And, and and a, a form of unemployment. <laughs> so, yes, exactly. well said. You know? Active unemployment. Exactly right. Active. So well, now you work. Yeah. Well, your Go new ahead. book, it, I guess, a train beyond the mountains. And you know, it's about a trip that you took by rail. And yes. this is of interest, I think, to my audience because you know we we travel by motorcycles, but there is this other option that a lot of people don't explore. And so, why don't you give us a brief synopsis of the book? Well, first of all, the route that we covered is extremely popular with people in motorcycle because you're going through the Canadian Rocky Mountains, you're down to Vancouver, then you're back up through Whistler and up to the, the Caribou. So it's a fascinating, fascinating part of the world and active, uh, active viewing for, for, uh, for, for motorcycles. You see a lot of it. So I was with my grandson, Riley, who was 10 years old at the time. And I think, and I write about this, an, an early decision for most travelers is, do I go alone or do I go with someone else? And I thought to be on the Rocky Mountaineer, which is one of the most famous trains in the world, was too special of an experience not to share it with someone. Right. right. So I invited my grandson, Riley, to come along. And he said, Grandpa, you'll be so happy to have me there. Well, I, I hadn't gauged just how sarcastic and one-upmanship a 10-year-old <laughs> can be and how the tensions, which are always good for storytelling, right. can move the pace along. In sort of a Reader's Digest version, we got into the Rocky Mountains and in the Banff, got onto a train, the Rocky Mountaineer, and I can describe it because it's a beautiful, beautiful train, and we traveled one day through the Rockies into a place called Kamloops, sort of toward the center of the province. You overnight there, so that you're just traveling on the train by daylight, so you don't miss any of the scenery. And then the next day was along the Fraser River and into into Vancouver. We then had some time in Vancouver, got back on another Rocky Mountaineer train, up to Whistler where we overnighted, back on and up into the Caribou where the Caribou Gold Rush was, and in, uh, in the 1800s, and then overnighted there, and then back on the train up to Jasper, back again in the Canadian Rockies, and spent some time there. So the, the main narrative thread is the journey on the Rocky Mountaineer. Wow. That was a nice trip. Sounds like a very nice trip. You know, I was curious why you didn't bring your friend Peter with you. 
<laughs> you know, Peter has uh, someone, someone, one of the guys I play baseball with told me last week, he said, hey, I just read your Route 66 book. And he said, that Peter guy had a lot of work to travel with, isn't he? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and then he said, you know, my three favorite lines of the book, and he listed them. They were all ones that Peter had said. So he was a lot of fun to travel with. But Peter and I are, are different in many ways. Oh, sure. He got us lost once. I got us lost once. Uh, but it was, yeah, he was a great travel companion, which led to to a, a, a great book. You know, the the um, the publisher of Route 66 magazine uh, gave me a great cover blurb. He said, uh, it's the best travel book I've ever read. Oh, that's awesome. That's, that that's quite a compliment. Yeah, that's, it that's, was. And an, it quite was. quite an endorsement. But yeah, I'm sure yeah. your, your, your 10-year-old grandson did uh, a much better job. Uh, than your friend Peter would have done. <laughs> well, you know, what, what he did, what you remember Peter in, in, in the book, uh, Route 66, he's all, every night he's negotiating a deal. With yeah, yeah. There was no, yeah. Every meal he's trying to do something like that. And then we're debating which way to go because on Route 66, if you're on a motorcycle or like us in a, in a Mustang convertible, you get lots of choices. And if you want to go down a gravel road or some patch that was only Route 66 for a short spell, then, then you know, and maybe in the twenties, maybe in the thirties, then you can take those options. Sure. So, so that was fun. The thing about traveling on the Rocky Mountaineer or train travel in general is that when you get on board, you don't have any other decisions to make That's unless it. it's between having having a gin and tonic or a rum and coke, um, or or what you want from a really nice menu for your your breakfast or for your lunch. The, the decisions on where you go and your timing is taken out of your hands. And train travel relaxes people. It, it's, it's beautiful that way because you get to muse or ponder on things that, that you don't normally do. And I think motorcycle trips can be a lot like that too. Yeah, Once you yeah. set your, your way, if you've 100 miles ahead of you, it's a different your focus. mind's kind of free. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, on that topic, uh, I have to ask, why travel by rail? So I've had the good fortune to travel on trains in 36 different countries. And it's a preferred way for me to be on the go, whether it's going across Siberia or into North Korea or through Belarus or Mongolia. I've loved being on trains. And my expression of, of, of why is watching the world go by and being able to absorb it at a pretty slow pace without having to think about all manner of other where am I going to stay tonight and that those types of decisions so I really like that I like a long train journey multiple days really works well right. from my perspective but I also think that train travel is an ongoing moment and and you you find lots of introspection, but not just in yourself. The writer Paul Thoreau said that train travel is the last word in truth drugs. And I think that's true. You find people on a train for reasons that I do not understand. They will tell you their life story. They will divulge secrets. They will hint at things about motivations for travel or people they left behind that they wish they brought along on the train. They'll tell you things that you never hear on an airplane trip. Right. Wow. I never. You know, the thing is, I, when, when most people think about travel, they first of all, they don't think of travel by rail. 
because most of the times they're thinking of if they if there is travel by rail they, they consider it's like commuting now, yes. did you think that it's a lost art well nicely said one one could say i could paraphrase that and say that that train travel is a lost art i like i like that because people used to do it out of a necessity of course and yeah. sometimes it was even between great distances it was not by choice it was the only way to get there exactly. and it was much quicker than the prior ways like wagons or walking or horses or whatever so now it's been superseded if you want point a to point b and all you want to do is get there i would say don't take the train unless you're in japan where they've got the shinkansen that's going you know, 300k an hour <laughs> yeah. or the and in, in france or belgium it's going we're screwing right it's just gone yeah but getting on board a train back to your bit about a lost art you do drop back in time and you have sort of the shades of the 1950s or the 1920s you have a, the romance of rail travel you have you that go. sense of journey and i think motorcyclists get a sense of journey in a way that people in a car don't get and i think that on a train you get a sense of what it was like to be in a long gone era and you can let yourself go with that rhythm yeah it's very true <laughs> you know and the thing is in the, with modern travel today especially even by rail i imagine and and, and you're gonna if you saw this you'll let me know did you see people still with their faces buried in their phones there was a bit of that but the nice thing is that you do lose wi-fi connection well that's a good but thing still people have downloaded games or they've downloaded things it's right. it was it's a, a bone of contention between my 10 year old grandson who wants some tablet time yeah and i'm thinking he's going to hang on my every word about history and geography and the you know, background <laughs> yeah. of how they used to make steam locomotives and, right but he wanted some tablet time and i was after him at one point and and he joshed me and he gave me his headset and he, he was listening to Coldplay, and it was his choice of music and he said i'm just relaxing looking out the window grandma and then another time he wanted to go down to the the uh, lookout platform so the way rocky mountaineer coaches are designed they're great they're, they're two level and the top level is where people sit and and enjoy the views they have a, a glass ceiling in fact one of the australians called it the the, the glass train but you can almost touch the mountains. It, it's all glass dome. It's wow. just, it's gorgeous. But down below is a, just a terrific dining place and the meals are fantastic. But at the back of the lower level is about a 10 foot by 10 foot observation deck. And Riley became fascinated about being on the observation deck. And he would put away his tablet and he'd say to me, are you going to keep your nose stuck in that book grab or are you coming down to the lookup deck? <laughs> Right? So right, it was kind of touche. Kind of touche. And we'd go down, and whatever goes through a 10-year-old's mind when they're on a train um, would, I think, fascinate us all. He'd lean over the side of the railing, the wind in his eyes, the wind in his hair, and he wouldn't move for two hours. Wow. Watching the country, and he'd maybe say, what are those trees? What kind are they? Why are they so different than the ones two miles back? He would look, once he's at a old dilapidated two-story farm home 
and it's no longer inhabited. He said, what happened to the people? Yeah. Well, where'd they go? So things like that through the eyes that are one seventh the age of mine will make for a fascinating journey. And I think has made for a compelling story for the readers. Oh, absolutely. And one thing you just, you touched on in there, it brings me up. I want to talk about the train itself. Uh, you mentioned the observation deck. Was that yes. open air? Yes, it was. Yes. So, so it's it's covered. The cover is part of the second level. So there would be people seated above you, as right. it were. But you have all of this in the open. So this is a a train. You know, there's no smoking allowed. There's nothing like that. You are enjoying the freshest of air in the Rockies. You you get a little cool spells because there's still so much in the way of the glaciers or the snow, uh, or if it's early morning, and then you'll get the the, the warmth coming by. You can be on the observation deck on Rocky Mountain Air going through the tunnels. And that's both eerie and a bit alarming and immensely satisfying because it goes dark all of a sudden. And there you are with the, all of sudden new smells that are train smells. And it's, 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 it's powerful imagery. Wow. And it's a, a wonder. It's exhilarating. So now the train itself, let's, uh, tell me about the engines and the cars, the dining and, and the sleeping arrangements. Was it everything you expected it to be? It was everything and more. Oh, so okay. full disclosure, in the early 90s, for three years, when the Rocky Mountaineer was starting up, I was vice president of sales and marketing and loose ends, everything. And we were brand new to the business. Wow. We were learning on the fly. We had a sage old railroader who was an advisor to, to the, uh, the owner. And uh, when every time there was an incident, uh, challenge, a problem, he would say, it's all in the solution. No kidding. It's all in how you handle it. Wow. It's all in how you resolve this. So you were and on the inside it, this whole time. You know, I was, I was on the inside yeah. for three years, but, but his bit, his actual phrase was when there's a problem, he would say, it's all in the recovery. Well, there were so many problems the first three years, 1991, 92, that we actually called it the recovery railway. <laughs> and, and that all, those things got fixed, but they were old Canadian Pacific CPR or CNR, Canadian National coaches in those days. Right. So they were from the coaches from the fifties. Wow. Now they're getting new ones every year and they are gorgeous. They still have some coaches that are single level but they've retrofitted them all. So they're new and safe and they have partial glass domes. But the, the big ones, the two level ones, you're like riding in a open canister. It's beautiful, it's gorgeous. You can look everywhere, you see wildlife, you see mountain peaks, you, you when the waterfalls are there, you can almost feel them dripping on the uh, on, on the, the, the glass ceiling. So in that way, it's it's lovely, it's smooth. There is no accommodation because their unique sort of selling proposition would be that you travel by daylight so you don't miss anything. Right. And and you're traveling in seats that are better than business class on on uh, on, on airplanes. So you got lots of you know moving parts and gadgets and reclining and, and heaps of elbow room. You can get up and walk around, which is another nice thing about train travel. Yeah. And you meet people from all over the world. I would say that our coach was like traveling with the United Nations. 
they, you know, there are people from Germany, there are people from, from wow. the Netherlands, the Brits are there, the Aussies are there, there was a, a Japanese woman, um, lots of people from the United States, from other parts of Canada. So you really feel like you've got that privilege of everybody's got a different story. Sure. The train, they tell you it. Oh my God, that sounds really, really interesting. So now, how many days was, was the trip? Well, we were gone a couple of weeks overall, but we had mountain time and then five days on the train. Okay. But it was it was interspersed. So we, we had a bit of a spell in, in Vancouver, which was, was really nice, back on the train. And then when we got off in Jasper, we had more time. So we were at Moraine Lake Lodge, which is gorgeous, stunning, just a, one of those things where you feel like like you don't want to use the descriptive that you've just dropped into a postcard but you feel like you just dropped into one of those beautiful postcards except you're really there wow. and you can take a canoe out and you can canoe to the other side and and look up at this intimidating mountain and and hike and it was all great and then we stayed our, our uh, last evening in the book is at a, a place called cathedral mountain lodge right across from cathedral mountain that's around the spiral tunnels which are magical Swiss engineering where the train actually comes in and curves around inside the mountain, comes out into the open and goes back in and curves around and then continues to uh, to head west. And when they built the tunnel, built the tunnel a hundred and so odd years ago, they started out at both ends and ended up within like six inches of each other. That's amazing. Martin you know, when I here. read that part of the book about anything like, wait a minute, is this tunnel going around? Are they curving yeah. inside this tunnel yeah. in a spiral? And, and 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 I was like so amazed. I never even knew anything like that existed. But yes. that's yeah. fascinating. It, that's part of the thing about rail travel that's just super interesting because you're going to see things you're not going to see anywhere else. It's just fascinating. You know, that's 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 really that that's well said. You'll see things you don't see anywhere else in part because. The railways got first choice. They got choices before the highways. They got choices that sometimes replaced old wagon roads, mm -hmm. but they also often got land grants as part of their contract building the railways. So they got to identify where maybe communities would be, but they also had the main thoroughfare. Sure. So there will be places where the closest you will get to a river or to the ocean is on a train because that was the most level place they liked level or maybe a two percent grade right at most so so they got the they got the beauty spots railway did and so when you're traveling by train you get some of the best vistas of any mode of transportation wow now were the cars nicely appointed did you feel like you were it was like you're traveling in a different time period so it's it's interesting um i i i, I like that because because here's two answers one is that some of the, the newer coaches have a really cool retro feel to them oh, okay. by design. So you've got every sense of convenience and modernity and, and the, you know, the food service is, is oh, yeah. We're going to talk you, about you, that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you, you've got all of that. On the other hand, you also really know that you're traveling in comfort. Everything from the size of the seats to the the uh, the walkway down the center to you know people will shout bear and and people will get up and look out the window on the the west side because that's where the bear happens to be and you've got room to do that which you would never have 
on an airplane no. or a bus or even in a car. You can't conveniently do that. On board uh, the Rocky Mountaineering, you've, you've got that. And they've, they've got very attentive, well-trained staff. So if you ask a question, any question, you could ask me the next few questions I might know the answers to. They would if it was about history or geography or the environment or issues like when you're going by the Adam River, Adam's River where there's spawning, salmon spawning. And then, you know, these are salmon that come down the Adam's River. They end up in the, the um, eventually in the Fraser River and the Pacific Ocean. Five years later, they come back to the, not just, you know, the Adam's River, but the actual creek where they respond and they then spawn. So what you would get if you ask that question from the onboard staff at Rocky Mountain, they would be able to tell you the biology of that, the threats of, of, of um, to, to the small fry from global warming or new predators that are around because of changes in the climate. They, they're so knowledgeable that it means you're kind of traveling with National Geographic. Oh, that's awesome. It's, it's, it, that, that was fascinating, yeah. Ah, that's, now, you said that it, you, you, there's no accommodations on the train itself. So where Correct. did you stay during those, uh, the, um, you know, obviously you're not traveling at night. So where, where did you right. stay? Local hotels so and things from, like that? Yeah, from Bath, you pull into Kamloops, which is a, a big sporting center. They have lots of tournaments there, whether it's right. baseball or hockey or whatever. And it's in a, a sort of quasi-desert area. It's a neat community in the in the training world or the world of of, of trains because so many of them route through there it's right on the where the thompson river the north and the south thompson river are um are, are coming together and there are lots of motels and hotels there and so what happens if, when you get on in banff and you can go east west or west east but if say you get on a banff you just have your day pack your luggage leaves banff in a truck and when you get the can loops you get off you get on a comfy bus you go to your hotel you you get your keys while you're on the bus oh there you walk go into okay. the hotel go to your room and your luggage is in your room so it's like an all-inclusive trip they took it's care of so your organized. oh that's it that's because i was yeah. wondering if you know uh, you, you get to your first stop and everybody, it's sort of like you're on your own, go find a hotel. And if yeah. you missed a train, you're screwed too bad. Nope. It's all, it's all, oh, okay. part of, it's all part of what they organize. Oh, that's and, fantastic. and we got into, we were, so like we, and we stayed a, a night in Whistler and then, uh, the next day we're going to Quinnell. And sometimes if there's a lot of freight travel, you, you spend time on sightings and you can get some delays. So they normally don't do dinner on the train, but at the, last minute they realized they were going to be late arriving into Quinell. So they whipped up, and I, I still remember it, it was this pasta and chicken dish, which was as good of a pasta meal as I've had anywhere. And it just comes out of this small kitchen and they're feeding a whole bunch of people. It all worked so well. But when we got into Quinell, that's a Sunday night, and we got, our hotel happened to be one that was three stories, and the staff were there. They kept the bar open. They kept their diner open in case anybody wanted food. And then they left the fire escapes open because not everybody wanted to walk, wait for the elevators. People could walk up. All <laughs> organized, all secure. And it just, they think everything through. They're like always, always around the bend ahead of you. Oh, so you, you didn't actually eat meals on the train? We did. We ate breakfast and lunch every day. Okay. And they, they were, they were like, they were the best meal. Like really? It's, it's, it's if you like view dining, 
the outside of the train is magnificent. So they they have to compete. They want the onboard experience to be as good as the exterior right. looks, right? Exactly. So yeah. so they concentrate on that. That one night um, they did dinner, but normally they have seatings. They take half the upstairs group down for the first seating. You have your breakfast or the later your lunch, and then you rotate up and they bring the other group down. And it is it's seamless. But the menu has you know it's, it's got a handful of delightful options. And if you're like Riley, um, he was fascinated by smoothies. And they nicknamed him the smoothie. <laughs> well, there kid. you go. And they would just bring him smoothies. Or he would say, because he's a kid, and he would just say, Can I have for lunch the crispy bacon I saw over on that table at breakfast? And can I have that fruit you brought out? And and they would always make it happen. Wow. Uh, it was yeah, it was it, it was surprising in this day and age we can get a bit jaded about travel not being comfortable or not being immediate easy or you get bumped in airports but when you're in the care of a train like the rocky mountaineer you're their responsibility sure and they just want you to go you know for and i come out of the marketing world and 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 you know the number one rule about marketing is that the best marketing skill is word of mouth yeah so when they see 70 people sitting on a coach what they see is 70, 72 people that they want to leave and tell the world. Right, 70 advertisers is what they say. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it, would it's you, sort of uh, apostles. Yeah. Well, would you, com uh, I, and this is, maybe this is a broad comparison, but would you consider it very comparable to maybe cruise lines? So uh, I haven't done a lot of, of cruising, and, and I used to, I describe actually the start of the Route 66 book that um, going on a cruise would be like spending seven days at a wedding reception. <laughs> it's me, right? It's kind of Yeah, you got a point there. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's got some of the elements in that, in that you're never going to go hungry. Right. And some of the elements in that... that um, you're taking care of. You, you, you're, you're, you're taking care of. But there's nobody trying to get you to do games. Right. Uh, there's nobody trying to entertain you. They will inform you. That's good. And I, I found it much more educational. Like you're, sure. you're, you don't get interrupted all the time with, with the, the, the crew talking to you, but you get lots of it. And then they will go to the side. And the other thing they, they did, I, I must have heard five or six different languages spoken by staff. Just oh, really? Because there were people from around the world. And when they may have, some English, you know, if you're German, you just love to hear the German language back to you. Yeah. Uh, say that there was a Japanese woman. Uh, I'll, I'll mention her because I never actually got to talk to her. She made a couple of comments, but she had an empty seat beside her. Right. And it, it leads me to something that I, I think is about crowd, like you and I talking about trips we want to take and things. And Sure. And I didn't know whether... She booked two seats because she wanted to be alone, or maybe more likely someone else was supposed to be in that seat. And for whatever reason, could have been business, could have been illness, that other person wasn't there. And she was kind of melancholy, a bit, you know, off to herself. And she was a, a, a stylish, as, as um, sort of seven year old uh, Japanese woman could so often look, they, they, they look young and together and right. and extremely thoughtful. And at the very end, um, she said to me, because we were out and she had said, you know, Rick, this trip means the world to you now. 
it will mean the world to Riley in 20 years. But that would be all she would say, because everybody knew everybody's names, because sure. you're hearing them. So she called me Rick, and she told me that. But at the very end, she said, and I think this was the key to why the seat next to her was empty. She said, very Buddhist-like, she said, the mistake we make is we think we have time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I think if she had been on that trip a year before, that seat beside her would have been filled. Probably. And, you know, I'm of an age now where, you know, hardly a week goes by that, you know, maybe somebody you played baseball with last year, he's not around anymore exactly. this year. Every minute Another counts. Friend, yeah, exactly. So, so I take that notion very seriously. If we have travel plans, if someone listening to this has travel plans, don't make the mistake of thinking you have time act on them get out there and do them make the memories now you might end up leaving the memories behind with loved ones but um but yeah exactly you know you know do travel another thing that is that that covid taught us is before covid i was one of the people that took travel for granted i took that that if you got enough of the coin to afford whether it's to go to the next state or the next province or go on a road trip or whatever it is I took for granted that we will be able to do things like that, let alone getting on an airplane and going to Europe exactly. or, or somewhere extravagant. COVID taught us we could not take for granted that that um, easy ability to, to travel because we got clamped down for two years and didn't get to go anywhere. That's right. I mean, it takes somebody like yourself who, you know, you travel is part of your livelihood. Yes. And when yes, you can't yeah. do that, you can't do what you need to do, you know, to bring that income. Yes. No, I, t- yeah. I totally get it. Uh, getting back to the uh, to the train itself, how often did it stop? It stopped at the end of the day. That was, that it, was it, really? That was it. So, oh, so it wow. didn't stop to pick up passengers. Rail service, passenger rail service in in Canada and and in the states with Amtrak has changed so much in in recent years and that it is more of of um or the distances and i've been on a lot of amtrak i i've been on the train they call the city of new orleans chicago to new orleans and and it was a, an a amazing trip and it it had some stops but they were few and they were pretty much far between gone are the days where as you're approaching a a town and you're slowing down the train station if somebody had a flag up it meant that there's somebody to get on the train that's wow. gone in canada gone in, in in america but amtrak makes more pauses to drop people off and pick people up yeah but what they don't do anymore and of course used to do up until 50s and the 60s is is they could stop and let people off in the middle of nowhere if that's where someone wanted to get off either going on a hiking trip or more likely to be met by neighbors and go to the farm. Right. So trains trains were tremendous in their service. And it's, you know, Canada was built specifically because of the, the Canadian Pacific Railway. And CPR and CNR are two of the biggest North American trail networks now. They own lots of American railways. They're just, they are massive. But British Columbia, so think Vancouver and Victoria, that part was almost part of the United States because in the in the say 1870s uh, early 1880s the you know uh, Oregon was becoming a state Washington was becoming a state 
The year Canada was founded with the four Atlantic Canadas, 1867, was the same year the United States bought Alaska right, from the Russians. They, right, they needed a corridor up to Alaska. Right, so British Columbia was logical. And not only that, but the population of British Columbia, and like 1858 and then at the end of uh, the 1800s, lots of that was Americans coming up for the gold rush, the Fraser River Gold Rush, the sure. Caribou Gold Rush, and then the Yukon and Alaska Gold Rush. So the, the deal cut was that the colonies of, sort of say the colony of British Columbia, would join with Eastern Canada, think today's Ontario and Quebec and the Atlantic Canada, it would join with that if they would build a railway. And that railway became the Canadian Pacific Railway, or CPR as it's, it's better known today. And it got built. And that guarantee of, of building the railway is why British Columbia joined with the rest of Canada. And Canada became an ocean-to-ocean nation. Oh, there you go. See, now we know. No, a lot of people probably didn't know that. Uh, when the train did stop, uh, well, like you said, it stopped at the end of every day. So I guess you had yes. ample time to, to explore if there was any exploring to be done. You do. Like, so, for example, when you're in Whistler, uh, you get in, you know, you're, you, you had your lunch, you're in town, and you've got all that day. So you can literally, whether you want to go ziplining, um, you, if, you, if you wanted to make the time, you could get up high enough to do some summer skiing. And you can get up on the gondolas, the peak-to-peak gondolas, amazing vistas. Mm-hmm. Or you can just walk around place where the uh, 2010 Olympics happened. Wow. Sassy. So there is lots so, of, so, of there, exploring. Right. So there's lots to do when that train stops. It's not just all travel and looking out the window. Yes. No. And, and in fact, if you're going, say, from Vancouver overnight in Camels and then going to Bath, you're getting off in the Canadian Rockies, one of the world's great destinations and lots of people then spend a week or two weeks in the Rockies. Everything sure. from hiking to go on, going up the Ice Steel Parkway to going to some of the, the uh, iconic uh, mountain climbs. So people do a lot of uh, outdoor activities um, at, at, at either end of, of their journey. Wow. You know, I have this saying uh, about uh, being on a cruise ship. If you go bored or hungry, it's your own fault. And I think the same thing can apply <laughs> to yes. rail travel like that yes yeah and i you know i i mean i've traveled across russia on a on a train seven days uh with my my two sons and and there's always something going on and if you go to the bar car you don't have to speak russian to be fascinated by the personalities around and the shenanigans you see going on <laughs> you know, you're you're watching either strangers court or try to outdo one another in card games or or chess uh, you listen to this like, yeah. extraordinary. Yeah, it'd be great. You know, Russian such a, a great language to to listen to, and that's just crossing one country. Uh, I, I trained across America from from again with my sons in New York to Chicago, then to San Francisco, and the people we met. I mentioned earlier about about people having secrets or people giving them up. There is something about train travel that if you're talking to someone. It's like they think they found a counselor that is never going to outcome oh, wow. because you don't know that you're a stranger. But if you're having a, a casual conversation with somebody of almost any age, let's say a double, they begin to tell you on a train 
things that, that they know they've got the next hour or they might even have the next day if they don't finish their story. Or if they feel awkward, they can leave and talk to you later on because it's easy to meet up again. Right. And and you begin to hear people from people who are, are thinking about a career change and they want an outside person's view or they are maybe headed somewhere to marry someone but they're uncertain about the relationship or they've left behind an ill parent and they're wondering feeling guilty about being on an enjoyable trip but people explain that and so you know for a writer then the good stories are always in a shower nobody wants to read about how good your meal was what people like to read about is that is, is that you, you know, you stubbed your toe or you embarrassingly said something to someone and then you had to recover on it or nobody, a, a book publisher once told me, nobody wants to read about an author who's a smarter traveler than they are. And I thought that was insightful. <laughs> With me, it's not difficult because I'm not smarter than anyone who's reading my book. But they like to know that the challenges are real and the people you meet are sincere and they have real problems and that it's worth yeah. reading about wow that's super interesting with regard to uh we'll, we'll take the rocky mountaineer do you think the history of this kind of rail travel especially on the rocky mountaineer do you think it's like understated uh, yeah yes it is and I, I would say the same thing is true uh, in the united states in fact rocky mountaineer uh, now has what they call um uh, rocks to red rocks which is denver to in, into into utah um and it's a new one they began a new trip they began a few years ago uh, but when i've also been on on Amtrak and, and janice and i got engaged on a train in alabama on our way between you know florida going to to new orleans and and so there's there is something quite romantic of the feeling of being oh, there. sure yeah but part, yeah but, but but part of of that romance i think is the history it's the image of early train travel and when yeah. you think about it you know the steam engine started to go out um you know so sort of in the 50s as diesel was coming in and then into the 60s and the the, the steam was gone uh, as a mode of travel but when when that first started out you know steam trains could only go so far before they needed more fuel sure. they needed more water yeah and when they stopped people had to get off the train and eat and it's a bit comparable to when we talked about route 66 that in the early days, the late 1920s, the 1930s on Route 66, the vehicles that people had to drive, they they didn't have big trunks, so you couldn't take a lot of stuff. They didn't have a big gas tank, so you couldn't go very far. So when you got to a, a new place on Route 66 in the 1930s, the vehicle you were driving had sort of rattled loose, and you needed to get somebody to wrench it back together. You needed gas even though you only gone 100 miles or something right so outside of all of the towns along route 66 became these service roads which which became known as gasoline alleys and that that was because the cars had to pull in and get service every 100 150 miles and people needed food at ma and pa shops sure and they needed to stay in little singular motels that there was no other motel like them across the country that individual sense of travel, I think you still have when you're on a train, be it an Amtrak or the Orient Express or the the um, the Indian Pacific in Australia or the Rocky Mountaineer. You feel very much that you're on a journey and the journey is 100% of the reason you're there. Yeah. Why do you think 
travel by rail isn't as promoted or advertised as much as other forms are? I think in part because it's not as available as others are. You you can get connections anywhere in the United States by airplane yeah. or by car if you're patient. And less maybe now from some of the bus services, but you could still get everywhere, everywhere. And the train only runs on certain routes. I think the other thing that has happened is that train travel has become, because of the economics around it, something that tourists do um, more than commuters. And so you get a lot of people who say they want to they want to go from from uh, Los Angeles to Seattle. Uh, they love the idea of getting on the train. And the trains have great names and Amtrak, you know, Starlight Express and, and, and such as that. But they like getting on the train and visitors will do that a lot because they're going to see the countryside yeah. and they don't have to pay attention to stopping the gas up or, or make any other arrangements. And I think people like that. So I think a lot of what is advertised about train travel in Canada on via rail or the Rocky Mountaineer or in the United States on Amtrak, I think a lot of the advertising, we don't see it because it happens abroad. It might happen in Europe oh, yeah. or it might happen in Asia. A lot of it in Australia. Australians are great. Uh, when they come to North America, uh, they usually come for six or seven weeks and they love traveling by train because they want to get everywhere. That's amazing. See, I would think that something like rail travel, like what you experienced uh, here in the U.S. at least, uh, would be a great form of getting people, you know, out of their cars and, you know, economically it must be, you know, I don't know what kind of, uh, how much a trip like this cost. Uh, I don't know if it's a, an affordable thing for the average family. Well, I, I, I think what you do is you then get on to comparisons of some cruise ship. Sure. Yeah. Cost, you know, high end, high end cruise ship and, you know, Amtrak still has some food services that are great. And then they've gone to others that are more, sort of uh, efficient food services, which I think is a disappointment. Yeah. I love traveling on train and taking a sports jacket along and, and getting, not dressed for dinner, but getting up and going down to have a cocktail and, the, and then have uh, have a meal. That used to be what you could do on, on Amtrak, less so less so now. On Rocky Mountaineer, it's, it's sort of, um, what would you call it? Sort of a casual elegance. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it's quite yeah. comfortable. Yeah. So they're not inexpensive to, to do those journeys, but I think it depends on, on the experience you're anticipating. And if you're anticipating that I'm going to have this time to myself, I'm going to meet some really interesting people that speak different languages and come from different places, talk about politics different. You know, as, as, a, as a writer uh, about travel, one of the things that, that I accept as my responsibility when I'm on a journey is to meet as many people who are different than me as I can. There you go. And what a, what a better way to do that than on a train. Yeah. You know, I kind of I, I, I compare it to those Viking river cruises. Yeah, right. You're on and off. You're yeah. on and off, right? And yeah. Meeting, yeah, it's a great comparison. Oh, that's awesome. So now, now how, uh, how, how long was the trip total? From beginning to end, about two weeks. Two weeks. About about two weeks for for us, and and I wondered, you know, I, um, I've I've had like you've had lots of great 
experiences that when you come back from a travel, whether it's a month or it's a 10 days or three weeks, whatever, when you come back from a, a writer point of view, I often realize that the sort of incidents and anecdotes, even if it's been to a quasi-exotic place, might sustain a blog or might sustain a magazine article, but it's rare, rare to have a journey that has tension, incident, anecdote, curiosity, uh, rich, unknown history, lots of things like that, that would sustain a book length treatment. That's, that's difficult to find because you've got to, you've got to have 80,000 really interesting words. And I write long, so I I will write 120,000 words and end up with an 80,000 word book because you're, putting everything down and then you you just have to have it so it's enjoyable for the reader sure but but i I, you know the the train travel lends itself to that because you're constantly hearing other stories but you have to insert yourself into that and and my preference is traveling with people who are different because i already know what i think and if i sit down with you you've got a whole different perspective on things i know because we've had lots of conversations uh, over time you and I bring different things to the table. That makes for a really interesting conversation. But if you and I were members of the same political party and went to the same church and ate the same food and shopped at the same shopping center and we sit down to talk, where's the animation? And I think that when you're traveling on a train, you are meeting people who, before they got on board the train, they they come from different politics. They come from different religions. They come from different eating habits. They they're, they're all different ages. They've had different careers, different different working lives, and so when they open their mouths, if we listen, it's just remarkable what we learn. Yeah. Wow. No, it's you're, it's actually right because you're. It's just, it's kind of the same on a cruise ship. You're meeting people from all over the place, but mm-hmm. a lot of times, again, you do meet a lot of the same people. So right. the conversation doesn't change very much, you know. Right. And and then you could shy away from having conversations. Yeah. Whereas, you know, on the, on the train on the Rocky Mountaineer, every time we went down for a breakfast, or we went down later for a, for for lunch, you're sitting with different people. Yeah. And and they could be anywhere. And I I write about all these people in in Train Beyond the Mountains because. They you know, one of them was uh, there was there were two women from 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 uh, Texas and one was the mother and the daughter but the daughter was late forties career oriented really successful and they were there taking some time with them but they become fascinated from the days they spent in in Bath with three early woman pioneers or one of them was an artist one was a mountain climber uh, another one was a photographer. And they talked about these three women, um, two of them from Philadelphia, uh, and another one who had fallen in love with a, a fellow who lived in Bath. And these were socialites, but they traveled in the late 1800s to be in Bath, to climb the mountains, to to have take the train, to to, to just to explore. Wow. And, and 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 so these two American women on the train sitting across from us at lunch. They told me more than I knew about these three women um, from the States who had come and discovered their own new lives in Canada. 
and wrote about it and painted about it and did amazing photographs about it. And I don't know that I would have thought about those three women who I then went on to read books about and research lots about had I not sat down with Riley across from two women from Texas who themselves were interesting, but they found interest in three pioneering women. And they talked about it all lunch. And it just it was invigorating. And that's what happens. That's, you got different people that, when you go yeah. to practice. That's yeah. what makes that kind of travel super interesting. Exactly. And I did know now in your book you did include some maps which included yes. the different routes that the train did. did the train take all of these different routes that you showed in your maps? So the, the Rocky Mountaineers, so for example, when we say Bath to Cantaloupes overnight and then to Vancouver, you can get on to Vancouver and go to Cantaloupes and Bath overnight. You could also go Vancouver, Cantaloupes on to Jasper or do that two-day journey and return. Or you can do the, uh, we went north to Whistler and then further north Cornell and then north uh, east to get to Jasper. And you can do that three night one in reverse. So people combine them all the time or they'll, they'll, uh, as, um, grandson Riley and I did, we, we, um, we rented a, uh, a car in Jasper. So we had this time back again in the, in, in the Rockies. Then you just go with your own kind of rhythm. And, yeah, and yeah. that's, you know, the, you know, those types of negotiations, you're, trying to decide who gets to choose the music and you know you get an hour of riley's and an hour of mine and and uh and you know we're in the rocky mountains and i i want to play john denver and he says who's denver yeah right <laughs> he wanted to play marshmallow or some one other group right or his younger brother declan uh liked uh, likes a guy called um boy with you a guy who plays ukulele and and so i ended up when you're sharing space with someone gener two generations younger. Yeah. Um, and, and if you're open, you know, you're learning about their music. <laughs> and at one point, um, one point, there's a scene I write about in the book where it's just Ryan and me on the observation deck. And he's, uh, he does a dance. He just starts to dance. And it's a little bit of a two step, it's a little bit of a, you know, hip thing and it's a, a, a not quite a jive and he's got it he's going around and then he stops and i said uh i said what was what was going on in your mind what, what song was that uh because i could hear that he was singing a song and he said it's from the game Fortnite. and he says to me you know if you ask more questions about i was what i was doing you would know that song <laughs> and he, 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 he got, yeah that was that was a good dig eh that was a good dig and so i started to ask more because I was thinking he'd just hang on my every word. Yeah. But no. And and so I tried to pay more attention to his. Fortunately, that was like the first or second day. Yeah. Uh, and my behavior, my behavior, my son, who is his father, said to me before the trip, he says, try to be more of a friend and less of a grandparent. Yeah. See, there you go. Education for everybody. It's just so true. That's what travel does. I mean, is yeah. think about it. Is there a better education than than travel no no absolutely not absolutely not I mean, we, well one quick question about the about the we just talked about the roots one quick question about that so i got i get the impression from what you're just telling me is that you can pretty much design your travel by rail vacation to suit your timeline like you can make it of any length you yeah. wanted yeah you, it's sort of a minimum two days minimum two, wow. okay. minimum two days but you know I've, I've talked to people who who would go like Banff, Camus, Vancouver, 
then they would spend some time in Vancouver, and then they go Vancouver, Whistler, uh, Quinnell, Jasper, spend a bunch of time in in the Jasper and the Rockies, the Icefield Parkway, and then they get back on the train and go Jasper, Camels back to Vancouver. So, so yeah, you can you can mix and match, and and it's so varied. And you know, this is this is the type of thing about about um, the United States or about Canada that just bemuses Europeans because I mean, taught you, and you could hear this on any day. Uh, they would say, gee, if you were doing this in Europe, you would have gone through five countries by now. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yes. Yes. You're absolutely so I, right. I mean, I, I, I've gone from Chicago to Seattle or Chicago to New York. And, and you know, if you're from, you go from Chicago to Seattle and you think of going through, you know, Minot, North Dakota, why else are you going to get there? I'd like to be there because my grandma was born there. She was American, came up to Canada. And and I got off the train in the middle of the night in Minot, North Dakota, for fresh air, and I realized where I was. And you you get things like that that yeah. That then all of a sudden you've got a different story with your family about. Guess what? I was in Grandma's hometown. I don't know anything other than the train station that it was two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but 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 you feel like you put a pin on the map, and when you get home, you look at the map again. But when you think of people from Chicago to Seattle, if you got on a train in the Netherlands, I mean, you'd be down in Spain in that length of time. Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? Well, through having gone through half a dozen Yeah, countries. exactly. Well, now, you've done rail travel uh, before on, on other types of trips. Yes. Tell I've, us about had, some of those. Yeah. Well, I, I've had... Uh, had, had Lots of that. Uh, uh, one of the things um, I can say is that my two sons, Brent and Sean, and they're older now, uh, older than dirt, and and uh, we traveled. And over the course of five journeys, each of them three years apart, as it happened, we ended up circumnavigating the northern hemisphere by train. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. And Right. I mean, and that was that was awesome. And, and some of that is places you can't go today easily. I mean, you wouldn't. Most people wouldn't be comfortable training through Belarus and obviously not Ukraine. So, so you know, we had opportunities like that. Um, but we also had an extraordinary opportunity. And around 2008, we were able to make arrangements to get on a train in Beijing and go to Pyongyang in North Korea. Wow. And it was about a 36-hour train trip. We then had a week inside of North Korea in a year where they had only allowed in 300 Westerners. And it was, it was, it was eye-popping. It, it was, it was humbling at times and heartbreaking at other times. And then we took the train back out uh, from Pyongyang to, uh, to, to Beijing a week later. Wow. I have to believe that train travel in Europe and other parts of the world is significantly different than the Rocky Mountaineer. Well, so much of it is commuter train. Sure. And I, I was um, with, again, with Riley, who is now 14, and his dad, my son Sean, uh, who himself was taking a, a sabbatical from work. And, and part of it, I joined him and, and Riley for. In, uh, in Norway and 
you know, we we have family there we wanted to see around Hammer. Uh, we had lots of stuff to do, but we also were of the eight days we were there. We were on a train, five of them for at least a short spell, and a couple of days we were eight hours. And it's it's transportation there. It's reliable transportation. Right. Though I will say, when we went from Oslo to to Bergen, which is supposed to be stunning scenery uh, we hit a blizzard right where the stunning scenery was and and here here's the thing is that you know if if you don't get on the rocky mountain here there might be one the next day or a couple days later in a place like norway if you miss the seven o'clock train there will be an 11 o'clock train and a three o'clock train and a eight o'clock train so when we were going from oslo to bergen and this is just just a matter of weeks ago um, the, the train behind us, it was four hours behind us, it got trapped in the blizzard. No. And yeah, and they were trapped for eight hours. Wow. So you then get issues around food, power, sure. right? All sorts of, of things. Uh, so there, there adds an element of, of danger. As a writer, uh, what I wouldn't have liked the discomfort, there was a story in being trapped for eight hours on a train. Yeah. Murder on the Orient Express. <laughs> kind of like that. Uh, what's next for you, Rick? You got another travel log coming up? So I, I would like to ride the um, the Rockies to Red Rock that I mentioned that Rocky Mountaineer has uh, between Denver and, and Moab. Uh, I would like to do that. Um, and, and we've talked about maybe doing that this, this summer. I really would like to, to um, climb the Chilkoot Trail, uh, which begins in Alaska in Skagway and then goes up into the Yukon in Canada. And that's where the gold rush um, crowds went in, in 1898. And they would go up the mountain. You see these these photographs of, it would be kind of like you and me, who just said, we're going for the gold fields. Wow. And off you go, whether you're 20 or 60 or whatever, off you go for the gold fields. And and uh, you can still do that. It's, it's arduous. So I'd have to do a lot of work to get in shape, more than playing baseball twice a week. I'd have to really work at it but I, I do want to uh to do that and I, i'd love to go um and I, I, i'm i'm writing some shorter pieces five six thousand words at most yeah. uh, about travels travel vignettes and so each of the ones i've just explained could be of that and I'd, I'd also very much like to go um in search of an onion dish that i like because i hate onions and I thought, you know, there are some places, some places in America or in Persia, uh, some places in the United States uh, where onions are such a part of the local scene that you've got amazing concoctions by really talented chefs. And I'm one of those people that will unabashedly say, I love French onion soup until I get down to the onions. I love the smell of onions on the Midway um, at, a, at a, a country fair, but I, I, I hate onions. So it could spoil a meal for me. And I thought, you know, given that those sort of olfactory things are enjoyable to me about onions, maybe I should go looking for an onion dish that, that like. I can learn, learn, learn to love the little beast. They, they say that if you were going into the desert and you could take one piece of food with you, uh, the one that you would survive the longest with is an onion because of the nutrients in it, the moisture that's in it, what it does for your digestive system, how it keeps you going. Really? And I've always thought, to me, that's one of my unfounded fears is that I'll end up in a desert, all I have is an onion. 
And the <laughs> so choice will be survival like or eating. <laughs> but, well, I think so you, I, might have, you might have to make your way down to New Orleans if you really want to find yeah, maybe yeah, some sort of onion boy, have they ever done it well with Hey, there's, there's this train there. that goes from Florida to uh, New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, i'm not going to get engaged in you no we're, we're staying together <laughs> all right uh well how can people learn more about you and what you're up to and all that well i do have a website which is rick antonson or yeah, rick antonson.com so www.rickantonson.com and that's that's got my my eight books and and periodic updates. Uh, for example, when when this interview gets posted, I'll link it there. I'll give it to uh, Greatstone Publishing, who who are the, the publishers of Trade Me on the Mountains, and they're just terrific. They've been a Excellent. dream to work with, and uh, and then they'll get it out to people. So things like that. Uh, also, I mentioned Cathedral Thinking. Uh, it's a, a, a there's a CathedralThinking.com website about that philosophy uh, which has been around for a hundred years i had nothing to do with creating it but i'm a bit of an apostle so so i i speak about that right. and there's a ted talk on there about it in a recent interview um, but there's a whole bunch of stuff because it gets used in australia for water conservation or in in um, um, germany for things or on long term for climate change so there's lots on there it's just an interesting uh, easy to digest philosophy. So those are the two things, rickantonson.com and uh, cathedralthinking.com. Excellent. I'll put the links to those things uh, in the show notes and, of course, on our website here. Uh, Rick, any last words to those who may consider traveling by rail, as you do? I would say two things. The first is find a place you want to be, and if there's a train anywhere near it, get aboard and if you want to see canada there's via rail or the train we're on which you know if you listed the five most famous trains in the world one of them would be the orient express another would be the rocky mountaineer but the other thing i would say is what i learned on on this trip and i write about in train beyond the mountains and that's what the japanese woman had yeah. said which is the mistake we make is we think we have time Exactly. If you've got travel desires, make them happen. Excellent. Well, Rick, I want to thank you very much for joining me here on the podcast and tell us about your new book. Um, greatly appreciate it. And always wonderful to talk to you. Um, and that's great. Thank you very much for being on the show. Well, it, 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 I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I thank you for making it so. Thank you very much, sir. Don't go anywhere. I want to talk to you when we're done. But thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Motorcycle Man Podcast is supporting David's Dream and Believe Cancer Foundation. If you would like to help those that are dealing with the hardships of cancer and see your money go to something that actually makes a difference and those people it affects, go to davidsdreamandbelieve.org to donate. And, of course, the Gold Star Ride Foundation, helping families of fallen soldiers. If you would like to be a part of a great cause and get some heartfelt miles in, go to goldstarride.org and learn how you can participate in the next Gold Star Ride. And Chasing the Cure. We're helping long-haul Paul Paland complete his mission to ride a million miles for MS. Now, he was told a few years ago that a cure for MS was a million miles away, so he decided to ride that million miles to that cure. You can help him by going to longhaulpaul.com and donate for his quest for that cure for MS. 
Thank you for joining me and Rick here in the V-Twin Cafe, where he told us about his new book, Train Beyond the Mountains, Journeys on the Rocky Mountaineer. Now, you can learn more by going to rickantonson.com. All right, links will be in the show notes and, of course, on the Motorcycle Men website at www.motorcyclemen.us. Don't forget to get on over to the Ride with Ted YouTube channel to watch many of the many videos that I have over there, including some Ted Shed and, of course, naturally the Ride with Ted videos. Some great stuff. And uh, we're get, starting to give away stuff, too. So if you want to win some things, you want to check the channel out. All right. For the rest of the Motorcycle Men team, thanks for listening. And remember, boys and girls, we say stupid crap so you don't have to. Ride safe, kids. <laughs>